Well, we're still talking about hope. If you were tuned in on our last broadcast, you'll remember that in this series in which we're thinking about how to help another person, we said that one of the real necessities for helping another is to give him biblical hope, scriptural reason for looking for some change. Now, let me define what biblical hope is. You know, a lot of people have the idea that hope when they hear that word, is what we mean by hope today. But the Bible never uses the word hope in the way in which we use it so often in our modern culture. Now, let's say a man is uh, going out fishing, and uh, somebody says, uh, well, what do you think you'll do today? He says, well, I hope I'll catch some. But he doesn't really have any expectations of catching them. In fact, the last 16 times he was out, he never got any. So his hopes are very slim. That isn't what the Bible means by hope at all, a hope-so kind of thing. That's exactly the opposite of what the Bible means when it uses the word hope. Never does the Bible, in any passage where hope, the word hope appears, mean a hope-so. Rather, it means a confident expectation built on the promises of God. For example, in Titus, where we read about the blessed hope, we're not talking about the blessed hope-so. We don't have any uncertainty as Christians about the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return as the great God and Savior. That is our hope. And in the scripture, when we say that is our hope, we mean that is our confident expectation. Indeed, if we were to translate those words, blessed hope, which come out of the King James Version, a little bit more modernly so that we'd understand them, they might come out something like this. Instead of blessed hope, we might say the happy expectation or the joyous anticipation. There's no uncertainty about Christ's second coming. He's going to return, and it's going to be a joyous time when he does for his people. All right, so that's what the Bible means by hope, a confident expectation of something that we can be sure about if God has said so. And that's the kind of hope that brings perseverance or hang-in-there-ness or steadfastness as we saw in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. When God has said it, you can depend upon it. That's it. Now that's what a counselee needs. And if you are counseling another person, you need to give him hope. Very few people who are in a mess have much hope. They've tried this, they've tried that, they've tried something else, they've gone here, they've gone there, they've been through all kinds of various uh, counselors or counseling centers or whatever, and nothing has worked. They've lost a lot of hope. Now, they need to have those hopes restored or they'll not hang in there and work on their problem the way that God says as they ought. They will not have perseverance or steadfastness about which 1 Thessalonians 1.3 speaks. And so many people to whom you speak will have a hoping against hope attitude. They'll have a, a sort of attitude in which with one hand they reach out for what you're offering to them in the way of change, and they want to hope again, but with the other hand, they'll grab their, their hand that's reaching out and pull it back. They'll stiff arm hope with one hand while reaching out to get it with the other. Now, why do people act like that? Well, when they've had their hopes up time and time again, but those hopes have always come crashing down around their feet, 
when their hopes have been smashed and shattered and pulverized and ground under the heel once and twice and ten times and thirty times, then they don't want to hope anymore because it hurts to have your hopes up and to have them come smashing down again. And they don't want to get hurt again. So they, they, on the one hand, want to hope. On the other hand, they refuse to hope. On the one hand, they want to get out of their mess. On the other hand, they don't want to get their, their spirits up and really go to work on something that's only going to let them down once more. And you've got to realize that as you try to help a person who's been through a lot of things that he's tried many, many times but have failed. This time you've got to say to him the reason why you can get your hopes up is because what we're talking about is going to be based on the Bible. It's not going to be based upon human wisdom. It's not going to be based upon some idea that a psychologist cooked up in his uh, uh, office one day. It's not going to be based upon what a lot of people have found to be true in experiments. It's going to be based upon what God himself says. Therefore, we can have a confident expectation that whatever the Word of God says will not fail. God's Word never fails. Now, when you come to a person that way, you can produce hope. But, of course, when you do, you better be sure that you come with what God really says, that you not come with some half-baked idea that you've read into the Scriptures because of some psychology class that you have been attending or that you have graduated from. Far too often today, men who claim to be Christian psychologists are really Christians who are psychologists, but their psychology is pagan and their Christianity is genuine. Yet the two don't mix, and yet they try to mix them, but they really get the two mixed up. And so in the name of Christianity, and this makes it all the more deceptive, in the name of Christianity, they begin to do things that are no, not at all Christian. And they recommend things that are not at all Christian. They uh, adopt presuppositions and principles that are not at all Christian. They make the Bible then fit their psychological ideas. And just as those people do that, you too must not take your wisdom or your ideas or your prejudices or what somebody taught you or what you think is right and try to bring that to people under the name of Christianity. Instead, you must simply take the word of God as it really is and present the promises of God to people and exhort them to hang in there and to rely upon those promises. And when they do, God's promises will not fail. The only basis for real hope for a person who has tried and tried again but who has failed and failed again is the promises of the word of God. That's why then, in Colossians 3 and in Romans 15, in those two passages that we looked at a few broadcasts past, in which we saw that every Christian is required to counsel other Christians, it was very clear that in those passages, Paul said things like this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In other words, if you are going to counsel another person, and you must do so, Paul says, you need to do so out of a rich, full understanding of the word of Jesus Christ. Or as he says in Romans 15, 14, I am convinced that you are full of goodness, that is a kind of attitude in which a person wants to help another, and that you are filled with all knowledge. 
That's not just knowledge of uh, uh, the weather or knowledge of the world around you or knowledge of the sort that you can pick up in a classroom somewhere. But when Paul speaks about knowledge, he means knowledge of God. And he means knowledge of God's word. So the prerequisite for really helping another person is to use the word of God out of a rich storehouse of that word dwelling within you. If you're going to be used of God in helping a brother, it must come through storing up fully and deeply and richly the principles of this word so that whatever the problem may be, you will know what God says to do about that problem. The way to handle others is through the use of this word of God. Lord, we pray that you'll bless many today not only to read their Bibles simply for data, but to read those Bibles to find out how to help one another and thus richly store up in themselves what they need to become a blessing to many others. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.